If you are like me, when something becomes familiar to you, it's easy to take it for granted. I think that Christmas easily fits in this category where we get so familiar with the truths of Christ's birth. We hear the story year in, year out, that we begin to lose that sense of awe and wonder about this most amazing of events in human history. I recently came across a story that comes from a pastor named J.B. Phillips. It's a fictional story that he wrote. He was a pastor about 75 years ago. But I think it gives a good picture of why Christmas and the story of Christ's birth is so absolutely amazing. I'd like to share with you a portion of it right now. It goes something like this. Once upon a time, there were two angels. There was a young angel being given a tour of the universe by an older, more experienced angel. And they were looking at all kinds of stars, they were looking at all kinds of planets, they were looking at all kinds of black holes, and that young angel, just like a young child, was beginning to get a little bit tired of it. He was getting a little bit bored and kind of asking, okay, how much longer, how how long till we're done with this? And he felt like, okay, I've seen so many stars, I've seen so many planets, surely there's not much else out here to see. And then they were approaching this galaxy that we know as the Milky Way. As they were inside that galaxy, they were approaching a particular solar system in which we live. And, and the older angel was saying, I want you to take notice of that one particular planet there. There's that one planet, the third one from that star there. I want you to look at that planet and tell me what you see. The younger angel said to me, it just looks like just another planet. We've seen a lot of these already. What's so special about that one? It, it looks like just some ter- dirty tennis ball that you might find out, find out there in the yard. It's not impressive at all. What's so special about that particular planet? The older angel became very serious, looked right into the eyes of this younger angel, said, that is the visited planet. The visited planet? You mean like, like, like that? Yeah. Yeah, our prince of glory has gone down and visited that planet. It may look very insignificant to you, but that is the visited planet. And with that, the older angel just bowed his head in reverence and in awe. And I like this story because it really gives us a different perspective on the significance and the, the awe-inspiring event that the first Christmas really was, where God stepped off his, off his heavenly throne and came to this earth in the form of a human being. Absolutely the most awe-inspiring event in human history, at least until Christ's death and his resurrection. But all those three things together are absolutely amazing. Tonight, I invite you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. If you didn't bring a Bible with you but would like to follow along, you can grab one from the pew or the chair in front of you. We're going to look at the story of Christ's birth uh, seeking to gain a fresh perspective on it. We're here at Freedom's Church in a series that we call Christmas Defined. And what we're doing through the course of the series is that in each message, we are taking a look at one word in order to, that, that comes from the Bible that gives us a fresh perspective of the meaning of Christmas. And tonight we're looking at what is in English a phrase, but what is in Greek, which is the original language of the New Testament, it was one word. And for us, in English, it's the word, or the phrase, good news. We're looking at what's so significant about the good news of Christ's birth. I'm going to read Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, 
Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, the Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So we see here that there are some shepherds that are out in fields outside of Bethlehem. And it's sometime during the night. Their eyes are very accustomed to darkness there. And all of a sudden, this, this bright, radiant light flashes all around them. And there's an angel right there before them. And they are terrified. And I don't care how courageous and brave you think you are. If you were there in their shoes, I think you would be just as terrified as they were. And so the angel says to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So here we see that phrase that we're focusing in on, that phrase, good news. In the original Greek language here, the word is euangelizo. If it sounds familiar to you, it may sound like the English word evangelism. They are intimately connected. It's the same word in two different languages. And it means to proclaim the good news, to proclaim the gospel. And in that culture back then, this word euangelizo was not specifically a religious word. The main usage of that word was to communicate a military victory. For instance, if you had an army somewhere that was out doing battle and the army won, it took a while to get the message back to the homeland that your army just won a big victory. I mean, today we have TV, we have internet, we have telephones, so, so big news can travel around the world in a matter of seconds. But back then they didn't have any of that technology. And so in order to get news of a victory back to the homeland, they would send a messenger. He was called in that culture an evangelist because he's carrying good news. He runs from the battlefield back to the homeland. When he enters the city, he raises his hand, gets everyone's attention and says, Rejoice! We have won the victory! Now, if you're familiar with the idea of a marathon you, and the history of the marathon, you probably know something about this because the marathon supposedly had its origins in the country of Greece. We know it did. The, the story surrounding it is maybe a little bit more of a historical question, but the story goes like this, that the Greeks were fighting the Persians in near a city called Marathon. The Greeks won the battle. They sent a runner from the city of Marathon to the city of Athens, 26.2 miles and the runner entered the city of Athens, declared, Rejoice, we have won the victory in the battle of Marathon. And then as a reward for his faithfulness and his endurance in that race, he collapsed and died. But he was an evangelist. He was carrying good news of victory. And here in this passage, we see that the angels are messengers of God's impending victory. They say, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, when I hear this declaration of, of good news, of victory, there's this part of me that thinks, okay, isn't that a little bit premature? I mean, this baby Jesus, how long has he been alive? Maybe a few hours, maybe a couple days, not very long at all. How can you already declare victory through Jesus when he's still a little tiny baby? I mean, we look at our world. I like following the uh, drafts. Uh, in like the NFL or in the NBA. It's always interesting to me to look at these top draft picks who people always think, okay, these may be the savior of their franchise. A team that previously was significantly struggling, but if they get the right key player, it can turn around not only that franchise, but really even turn around the feeling within that city. It's amazing the weight of expectation that is placed upon these young athletes. But quite literally, they are, they are oftentimes viewed as saviors for that, that sports team. 
It's interesting to follow these because, you know what, there are times where those top draft picks really do change the course of their franchise, where they are difference makers. They are essentially, in human terms, saviors for that team. But there are a lot of other top draft picks in these drafts who really kind of fizzle out. They end up not not amounting to too much. Or at the very least, they don't meet the expectations that were placed upon them. Sometimes this can be very embarrassing to to say someone is a victor before they really are. I think back to 1948 when the Chicago Tribune ran that famous headline that Dewey defeats Truman. We all know that there was never a President Dewey. Never was one. But the Chicago Tribune jumped the gun before all the election results were in. They were so sure Dewey's going to win. And so they published this headline. It went out there, caused great embarrassment, Ended up that Truman actually won by a landslide. That's the peril of declaring a victor before all the results are in. So if you want to take the safe route, you wait until the battle has been fought, or wait until the game has been played, or wait until the event is over, and then you can declare the victor, or the champion, or the savior. But here the angels are declaring this good news of great joy when Jesus is just a little tiny baby. But we see here the savior has been born. And the reason why this is something that, that we can take confidence in, that why this isn't premature, is as God guaranteeing the victory. We see throughout history and throughout Scripture that God is faithful to his promises. Since he is the one guaranteeing the victory through Jesus, since he is the one who's been predicting this victory through the Messiah for hundreds and hundreds of years, he will bring it to pass. So the angel says today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. A Savior has been born. We are on the visited planet. God has stepped off his heavenly throne. Come here in the form of Jesus Christ. Now, this idea of a Savior does bring, to, bring up the topic that at times is somewhat uncomfortable in today's society, the topic of sin. The reality is we all have a sin problem. This rebellion that's inside of us against God that wants to live self-centered lives, that wants to do what we want to do rather than what God wants us to do. Sometimes it's active rebellion. Sometimes it's passive indifference towards God. But we all have a sin problem. Now, a couple weeks ago, I was leading a a church service in the Ozaki County Jail. I do that periodically. And we were talking about a message that I gave here on Sunday morning. I was giving the same message then. It was on the name Jesus. It was out of the Christmas Defined series. And we were talking about how Jesus literally means the Lord saves. And and how Jesus was given that name because he will save his people from their sins. And I brought up this topic about how sin is sort of this uncomfortable, unpopular topic in today's society. And, you know, these services are kind of interactive. And so I had a guy kind of shaking his head back there. And I'm like, okay, tell me more. Why are you nodding your head yes um, when I'm saying it's kind of an uncomfortable topic? And he went on to share a little bit about sin And he said, you know what? It's because of sin that we are all here right now. He's referring to he and his fellow inmates that that they all had some sort of sin in their lives that happened to also be against the law here in America. And that is what got them in jail. And they are in a unique position there where they are very easily able to see what landed them there. They were able to see the sin in their lives that bore very negative consequences. They stood before a judge who declared them guilty, and they are now serving their sentence. You know what? We too all have sin as a part of our lives. 
And our sin may not be against the law. It may not be able to send us to jail here in the U.S. But we will all one day stand before a righteous and a holy judge. Have to give account of our lives. And we will all be found guilty of sin. And it's in that time when we are in our greatest need of a Savior. But we have the need of a Savior even now. And we see here that, that today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. We know that, that Jesus, even though we celebrate his birth every year at Christmas time, we know that he did not remain a baby. He grew up. He lived a perfect life. He died on a cross to pay the death penalty we deserve for our sins. He was in the ground for three days and then rose again three days later to, to seal the victory over sin and over death. That is what it means for him to be the Savior, that he has defeated sin and death. And he passes that victory on to us if we would simply receive it. I know that today, and especially tomorrow, a lot of us will be opening gifts. But this gift of salvation that Jesus offers us doesn't do us any good if we don't take it and make it our own through faith. It's the same as if you have a gift under the Christmas tree. If you just keep it there all day, if you keep it there all year, if you keep it there for the rest of your life, it's never, ever going to do you any good except for a nice little conversation piece. You actually have to take it, you have to open it, you have to make use of it. Same with the gift of salvation that Jesus the Savior offers to us. Now, we would like to offer you a gift. I mean, Jesus is the one who offers the gift of salvation, but we would like to offer you as a church a gift of a book. I know it's, I mean, it's not a fancy gift, but the book is called Since Nobody's Perfect, How Good is Good Enough? This is a book that we've handed out for years here at the church, and it's become a quite popular book among people here at Freedens because it explains what it means to have a relationship with Christ, and it does it in a very engaging and easy-to-read type of way. And we'd like to give you this gift if you would like to receive it. Uh, there is in your bulletin a connection card. There's a box in the connection card that you can check if you'd like to receive this. If you just check that box, put your address on there, we will mail it to you. Um, sometime soon we will or just put that connection card in the offering plate in a few minutes or you can drop it in the box out in the Welcome Center. It's a free gift from us to you that explains the gift of salvation that Jesus offers. Now we need to recognize that Jesus as a Savior doesn't only benefit us in the future after we die. He also offers us true, abundant life in the here and now. Now, I think it's always interesting around this time of year to look at the ads uh, that are on TV, that are in the newspaper and magazines, and to see the grand promises that these ads make. That if you buy this product, if you give this gift, then you will be fulfilled. Or then you will have a, a loving, uh, full, rich family. A couple weeks ago, I was reading in Sports Illustrated and came across this very interesting ad for a Maserati car. It says, the key to an extraordinary life is quite literally a key. Now, it's a very clever uh, piece of marketing right there. But basically what it's claiming is that if you buy that car, you're going to get the key. If you put that key in the car and drive the car, it's going to give you an extraordinary life. It says in the small print, this is the cure for an ordinary life. You know what? It's a great deal because this car can be yours for only $65,600. Now, granted, that doesn't include tax, title, license, dealer fees, or transportation costs. But I will tell you, if that car is really able to deliver on its promise of giving you a truly extraordinary, abundant life, $65,600 is a raging deal. 
And I would advise each one of you to go out, sell everything you have if necessary, and buy that car if it can truly deliver on that promise. But it can't. But I will tell you that Jesus offers a much better deal than any Maserati dealership will ever give you. Because Jesus offers true, abundant life, both here and for eternity. He offers it to us essentially for free. There is nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing we can do to pay for it. Now, there is a sense in which it's costly because to receive this true abundant life, and especially to experience it, we have to follow Christ. And that does mean submitting our will to his will. But what we receive in return is well worth the cost because it's true abundant life as God designed it to be. Now, I think many of you may be thinking in your minds uh, just about experiences that you have about how, you know what, I'm hearing about all this good news, about times of joy. But you know what, this is a hard life. Especially this time of year for many people is a very challenging time as, as people deal with grief or loneliness or sorrow. And we hear these talks of good news and we wonder, okay, I know that's true, but still I experience this good news. Is there really good news for me? Is there really joy for me even as I hear about all this? Well, in closing, I want to return to the story of those two angels. Let's fast forward a little bit in their conversation about what's taking place on this third planet from the star. The older angel says to the younger angel, I want you to take a look at what's taking place there. Do you see that? Do you see what's taking place? The prince of glory, the, the light of the world is no longer there physically. He's back in heaven. But do you see all those little pinpoints of light? They're all around the world. They're glowing. They're spreading. Those are his followers. Those are the men and women who have received his good news and who are spreading his good news to others so they also can receive this surpassing joy that comes through him. The the young angel says, okay, I see all that, but it still doesn't make complete sense because I still see so much darkness out there. There's so much pain, so much ugliness I mean, yeah, there are those little specks of light, but there are vast spaces of darkness. I hear you say that this Prince of Glory has won the victory, but, but is that really true? Because I don't see it fully lived out there. The older, wise, experienced angel looks him in the eyes and says, you know what? I agree, there is a lot of agony and a lot of pain that's still there. There is also amazing joy that I see there at times as well. But here's what we have to understand. That our Heavenly Father has a plan. And He is carrying out that plan. The victory has already been won. The end has not yet come. The victory has not yet been fully enforced. But we know that one day this Prince of Glory is going to return to this earth. Visit it once again. And at that time we are going to come with Him as His angels. And then this victory, this good news is going to be enforced once and for all. That will be a time of great joy. Little angel, now do you understand why this planet is so important. Little angel looks at him and says, yep, I see now the glory of our Father's plan. I will never forget that this is the visited planet. Let's pray. Our Father, we do give you thanks that we live on the visited planet. We give you thanks that while we were yet sinners, you sent Christ to this world to pay the penalty that we deserve for our sins. We thank you that you did not leave us alone. We thank you that you did not say, well, I've had enough with you. But we thank you that Christ came. And Lord, I pray for each one of us that that we will all, 
embrace the fullness of life that is only available through faith in Christ, that we will follow him and that we will be ambassadors of his, sharing that good news with others around us. Now, Father, as we bring back to you a portion of of the gifts and the finances that you've entrusted to us, we pray that you will use these offerings to spread the good news of Jesus Christ further around this world. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.